Good morning, church. My name is Danny Beach, and I serve as the equipping pastor here at East Cooper. And I want to begin by saying you all have loved me and my family so well. We love this church. And uh, the Lord and his goodness and his providence uh, allowed me to meet my wife here at this church. And we have three daughters, and there are many of you who have loved on us and our family so well. And it's a great joy to be able to look out and see many men and couples and families that I admire and look up to and have watched and are continuing to watch as a model of godliness as you walk through life and highs and lows and raising kids and dealing with aging parents and whatever it may be. And, and so I first want to say all praise be to God and, and thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us through his body, but also uh, to, say, to say thank you. And I hope that uh, that has also been your experience here at this church. And if you're new or newer to East Cooper, that uh, that will be a growing experience that you have here. I had the opportunity to serve as the uh, middle school youth pastor here at East Cooper for several years. And occasionally, I would try to uh, trick the students, not necessarily a prank, but try to see if I could pull a fast one over the entire group in one setting. So there might be 75 or 100 kids, and one Wednesday night we were doing our youth group thing here, and I began my lesson by saying things like, you know, everybody in middle school, since you're all in middle school, has maybe has some friend problems, and um, you're wondering who's your, your real friends, and there might be some backstabbing, and I said, just, just hold on, wait a little bit longer, and once you get to high school, it's, it's going to be so much better. It's going to be much easier when you get to high school. And, you know, friendships are really going to lock in place and you don't have to worry about any of that immaturity or that nonsense. Or, or maybe I would say, um, what about your parents? Are you guys button heads a little bit and they don't get you and you don't get them and it just seems like conflict all the time at home? Well, just wait for, just wait for high school because that's when, that's when the parent relationship with their children really blossoms, right? Amen? And just wait, you know, it's going to be sweet. And just wait. Or maybe you're dealing with some confusion and what am I supposed to be about and all that kind of stuff. Hey, all that goes away in high school. So I'm, 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 I'm buttering this up pretty thick, right? I look out at the group and my leaders are looking at me and they're nodding in agreement. So I'm thinking, oh, no. Here I am in church. I'm, I'm lying to everybody. I got to change. I got to change this. I can't do this. And so, you know, I stopped and I told the students that that's not really the way it is. And I said, listen, God has called us all to a specific place and we're called to faithfulness wherever we are. And don't, don't get trapped into the lie of thinking that the next step is, is the glory land and it's all going to be better because we're called to live faithfully here and now. And, and so I think we can take a couple things away from a silly story like that. First of all, we all need to be critical of the information that we're consuming. And Buster tells us that kind of stuff all the time. That we, when we hear things and we listen to things from whatever source it comes from, we need to think critically about it. Like, do I really agree with that? Instead of just nodding in agreement all the time. But also, um, we need to consider who we're trusting. You know, do I trust who this person is that's speaking to me? And what I want to do this morning is look at a man in the New Testament who was a very faithful man, an obedient man, a man that Scripture describes as righteous 
before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. So if that's your resume, that's pretty good. Uh, A man who believed in the God of Israel, believed that he would keep his promises. So as we begin, I would like to read an entire story from the beginning of Luke. So Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. And I'd love for you to follow along if you have your Bible or your Bible app. I'm going to read this whole story from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were, were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the Lord, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, and to take away my reproach among the people." If you would flip forward to verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And their neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to them, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs. To, to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. So what's happening in this story? We see in this story a man who is righteous and obedient and living a faithful life. This is the very beginning of the New Testament. And God had been silent 
for 400 years. He had not spoken since the last prophet in the Old Testament. And Zechariah was not one of the evil high priests that we see later in the Old Testament who uh, were against Jesus and were part of, the, of his condemnation and crucifixion, that he was one of the remnants, one of the few who still believed and he was carrying out the duties of the priesthood, going before God as a spokesman before God and his people. He was living a, a righteous, faithful life with his wife who was doing the same thing. And in the midst of his duties, he's in the temple and Zechariah has an encounter with God and Zechariah knew it was an encounter with God. He wasn't deceived. He walked in there. He saw an angel. Zechariah knew that seeing an angel was not an accident. It's never an accident. An angel is a spokesperson from God. And if your eyes as a human lay on an angel, then it's there on purpose. They're not in the temple sweeping up the floor trying to get out of there before the, the humans arrive. He knew that this was a special moment. And he, he shrank back in fear. The angel identifies himself as an angel of the Lord. Zechariah shouldn't have been too surprised because he knew that the temple was the very place where God communes with his people. God communicates with his people through the priesthood, through the temple. And that's what was happening in that moment. But Zechariah also shouldn't be too surprised because this incident was not in itself entirely unprecedented. Zechariah was an educated man. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the law. He knew the story of Father Abraham. It's incredibly similar. The angel of the Lord comes to Abraham centuries ago makes it known through the words of God to Abraham, Abraham, you will have a child. Sounds familiar, right? Abraham, you will have a child. I know that you're old and your wife is old too, but your child will be part of my great and greater plan. So this was not unprecedented. The words that the angel spoke to Zechariah in the temple were, were really good. They were really, the angel says says to Zechariah, your prayers have been answered. You will have a son. In the ancient world, it was a reproach, as scripture says, to be barren, to be without a child. It was a wrong assumption, but people back then used to think that it was a result of of a curse because of your sin or the sin of your forefathers in some way and they looked at you with disdain and reproach and they looked down on you with, with, with a critical eye because you did not have the opportunity to have a child. So this was good news. Not only would the reproach of the people be lifted but they would have the joy of having a child, an heir, a son to continue and then to love this child. But not only will you have a child, Zechariah, but your child will be the one that is prophesied at the very end of the Old Testament, to usher in the coming Messiah. So it's been 400 years of silence. And Zechariah is really the first guy to hear the Messiah is on the verge of being here. Zechariah knew the Old Testament. He knew that the very end of the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, the last couple of words of Malachi, we see in chapter 4, verse 5, Behold, this is the end of the Old Testament. All right, and then there's 400 years after this. Behold... I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. So this was, this was really good news that, that your son, Zechariah, is going to be the one prophesied to make the people of the Lord ready for the Messiah to come. Good news. But... Zechariah responds to this good news 
from the angel of the Lord, he responds with unbelief. He says in verse 18, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And we see from the language and we see from the tone, the words, you know, how shall I know this? It's more of a demand. It's more of, a, it's more of, a, of an argument. Think of the, the Ten Commandments. You shall not lie. The angel Gabriel, how, how shall I know? Why don't you prove this to me? And the angel is fully aware because the angel responds in verse 19 and he, he kind of unleashes a little bit on Zechariah and he says, I'm Gabriel. And he says, I stand in the presence of God and I have come to give you this good news. But you, verse 20, did not believe my words. So therefore, a curse fell upon Zechariah, that he would be silent and unable to speak. When we're reading a story in scripture like this, I think that it's fair and right to simply ask the question, what happened, Zechariah? Why, why did you respond with unbelief? You're, you're a man of God. You're a faithful, righteous man who keeps the commandments and who is in the service of the Lord and you are the remnant and you believe in the promises of God. Yesterday, you were a faithful, faithful man, but in this amazing, supernatural, clearly God-speaking moment in, in, of, of all times, this time, you respond with unbelief. Why? The answer to this question is not a widely debated answer. This is not a theological conundrum, but quite simply what we see here is that Zechariah looked at the situation, the words spoken from the Lord, and it just didn't make sense. How should this be? It's not like we haven't been trying. We're barren. What, what else can you do? I'm old. She's old. It's not in the cards. It just, it just doesn't make sense. This pattern of God speaking in truly, unquestionably supernatural ways... And then mankind responding in unbelief is all throughout Scripture. I mean, we, we already talked about Abraham a little bit, but when God visited Abraham and said, you're going to have a child, and your child is going to be the avenue by which I bless all the people of the earth, and it's going to be miraculous. Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness, but eventually Abraham came to a point of saying, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. How can I have a child? And so he came up with a plan that made sense to him. And that plan in scripture we see is to sleep with another man's wife. That was his good plan. That was, that was how he connected the dots. And that was how he made sense of things so that he could do what God said. And we see that it was a, a grave error. And we who look in hindsight... 2020 hindsight vision. And we look back and we say, really? Abraham, come on. I mean, God spoke to you and you believed him, but what happened? What was the breakdown? What, what more did you need to validate the words of God? We see the children of Israel in the book of Exodus. The children of Israel as a nation saw with their eyes, they experienced the 10 plagues. And they felt the ground rumble 
when the armies of, of Egypt were pressing in on them and their backs were against the Red Sea and the only thing that was going to happen was their death and destruction. But then they saw God show up supernaturally, miraculously and split open the Red Sea. We didn't see that coming as our salvation. And they crossed the Red Sea and they saw the Red Sea close, defeating and killing their enemies. And then they followed Moses to Mount Sinai where the top of the mountain was ablaze with an all-consuming fire and they felt the heat on their skin and they felt the mountain rumble, Scripture says, and the, and the nation fell with fear. And they said to Moses, Moses, go talk to God on our behalf lest we die. So Moses goes up Mount Sinai to commune for the people as the mediator and moderator between God and man, but he didn't come back when the children of Israel thought he should. And so in spite of all of that, as a nation, not just a few people, not just a couple leaders, but as a nation. So that doesn't make sense to us. So what does make sense to us is to get our gold and, and make a new God. And scripture says they attributed their salvation to the golden calf. And we, with 2020 Vision, look back and say, What? Really? Of all of that, how could you respond in unbelief? We see the Pharisees in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 8, this is my paraphrase here, but the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, just, Jesus, just show us a sign. This doesn't really make sense to us. All right, we did not expect the Messiah to be the son of a carpenter. So why don't you just prove it to us? We need more. So more than the feeding of the 5,000, more than the raising of dead men to life, more than the healing of the sick and the casting out of the demons, more than, than the sight to the blind, more than hearing to the deaf, more than the calming of the sea, what else on your checklist do you need? I've been saying it, I'm, I'm speaking that the Father and I are one, I'm the word made flesh. What's left? And it just didn't make sense. So there's a pattern that we see all throughout scripture of the supernatural speaking of God and a response of unbelief. So what's the problem? The problem is that God's words to us as mankind will never be enough unless it's accompanied by faith. God's words to us will never be enough unless it is accompanied by faith and faith in the moment. I look at faith like our daily bread we see in Luke chapter 16 in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. God, give me today the faith that I need today to accomplish your will, to live a life of faithfulness and obedience. When we think of our daily bread, we, we think of manna in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 16, and the children of Israel were in the wilderness, and they were a million strong, many scholars think. And they were legitimately hungry. They, they, they had no food. It's not a metaphor. They were hungry. And they were going to starve without food. 
And so they started to grumble. They said, did you bring us out here to die? And, and God says, I have made you a promise. I have told you that I am your God and you are my people. And that I did all of these things to free you. I'm going to keep my promises. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to take you to the promised land, but you don't believe me. But I, I'm going to provide for you your daily bread. I'm going to pro- you didn't see this coming, but I'm going to provide something you've never seen before, manna. And it's going to be there every day for you to survive. But there's a little asterisk with that. You remember what it is? You can pick up enough manna for today, but not for tomorrow. Why? If I go out and pick up a bunch of manna today, I'm relying on God to save me. I'm trusting that he's going to keep his promises and and do something supernatural for me. But then if I continue to gather manna tomorrow, I don't need to rely on God. Tomorrow, I rely on my savings. Tomorrow, I rely on my works that have already been accomplished. And I don't need God the next day. Maybe the third day, I need him again. And the fourth day, I'll try to collect enough for five days. And I need God less and less. It's never been about the bread. It's about, do you trust me daily to supply your needs? Do you trust me day after day? It's not about taking... Uh, food into your system once and then you're just never hungry again but when you are hungry you come back and I meet your need and then you come back and I meet your need and then you come back and I continue to meet your need in Deuteronomy chapter 8 we see a retelling of the story of God giving manna and it says that God gave you manna that you might make that he God might make make you know that man does not live by bread alone But rather, man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's not about the bread. But it's do you trust me today to do what I've already said that I'm going to do? Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4 was out for 40 days and he was fasting. And he, like the children of Israel, were legitimately hungry. He was legitimately hungry. He was famished. And it says during that whole 40-day period, he was tempted by Satan, but we're only aware of three specific temptations. And Satan approached Jesus when he's famished, and he simply approaches Jesus and doesn't seem to be talking theology, but he says, Jesus, you're hungry. Why don't you just eat? Makes sense, right? Just eat. What's wrong with that? It's about the bread, right? You're hungry? Jesus responds with Deuteronomy chapter 8 to Satan. And he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I trust that God will continue to meet my needs and continue to fulfill his promises because I'm here for a greater purpose. So it's not about the bread, but it's about do I trust Jesus today? The last thing that any of us needs to do when Jesus, when God is speaking to us, is just to eat because it makes sense. Right? Adam in the garden. Adam who had walked with God pre-fall and had that sweet communion that none of us have yet to experience yet because at that point there wasn't sin entered into the world and, and God had spoken to him. His truth and his grace and his love and his promises And also his guidelines and his warnings. But there came a moment to Adam and Eve when it just didn't make sense. And Adam got hungry. 
in a different way. And he ate. And like Zechariah, it brought upon him a curse. So the question is, is God speaking to you? We believe emphatically, yes. We do not believe that there are more books of the Bible that we're going to insert at the end of this book. But that this word right here is the supernatural presentation of God Almighty's words to us. We see in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, it says that the word of God is living and it is active and it is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit and of the joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, of your heart and of my heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, God, to whom we must give an account. That we believe by the teaching of Scripture that this is not just a book filled with historical facts that happen to be true. That this is not just a religious manual, but this is our angel in the temple speaking to us God's word supernaturally. And it must be enough. We dare not look at this and say, yeah, but I just want a little bit more, Jesus. Why don't you just kindle a feeling in me to inspire me to believe and add that to your already spoken words so that I can then act. We dare not do that. That's the pattern that has fallen uh, so many people throughout the course of mankind. That when we look back with 2020 on all these people who in the face of God doing work supernaturally and, and we look back and we say, come on, really, you couldn't believe? Were they all fools? No, they weren't all fools, but they were all fallen. And we too are all fallen. And without faith in his word, we will fall. Our faith in God's words today is what makes the difference between blessings and curses. Our faith in God's word today, not yesterday, not our, our manna savings, not Zechariah living faithful righteousness yesterday, but how we interact and respond to the words of God today is what makes the difference between the blessings and curses. And I'm not trying to be overly dramatic there, but we see that pattern in Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah and the children of Israel and Zechariah in the temple. And we don't want to make Zechariah's mistake of unbelief in the face of God's words to him. We are called to be faithful today. Yesterday is, is gone. We can look back and we can remember things, but there's no reliving yesterday. In God's providence and his mercy, he created things in such a way that we cannot interact with yesterday. It's, it's gone. There's, there's, we, we, it's gone. And in the same way, tomorrow is not promised. We're not even guaranteed tomorrow. And not only that, but God is not calling us to know how Tomorrow is going to unfold, even though we desperately want to do that. And we try to line everything up so that we can, we can know what happens tomorrow. But we're not called to tomorrow. But we are, for certain, called to today. And your interactions today. Maybe you're in a situation right now and you have no idea 
how it's going to work itself out. No idea. It might be financial. It might be at work. It might be with a family member. It might be health. And if you were to come up here and explain your situation to us, we would all just say, I'm, I'm sorry. And we don't have a golden verse to give you that's going to make everything right. And you're sitting there and, I, and you, you might say, I, I see no future resolution possible. It doesn't make sense to me. But what you are called to is interacting with that situation today with faithfulness. Maybe that's perseverance. Maybe it's forgiving somebody who's legitimately wronged you and brought you to this place. And they're not even seeking your forgiveness. But you're being called by the God of the universe to forgive because he has forgiven much. Maybe it's your response and faith is, is grace in bearing with somebody else's mess and burden. Do they deserve it? That's not what grace is about. Maybe it's forbearing with somebody else who's just dealing with a mess and you're drawn into it. The truth is, is we are, in my notes here, it says we are all prone to be Zechariah. But really, we are all Zechariah. We all need to collect manna daily. We all need to go before our God and say, give me this day our daily bread (laughs) because I don't have it today. And maybe, maybe you think you do and you're just living off of of worm-filled manna. Maybe you've been wounded and you don't know if there'll be a joy that will return. But yet God says to you, in Psalm 139, that he, he both knows and cares in intimate detail of your situation, in your life, and your circumstances, and the wrongs that have been done, and, and the pain that's there, and that he has made a promise to you that he will never, as God, leave you. And he will never forsake you, Hebrews 13. Ever. And you can trust it because he's God and he doesn't break his promises. That's part of the character trait that makes God God is that he keeps his promises. Do you trust him when he says in Hebrews 10 that, yeah, you've been wounded, but God says, vengeance is mine. And I am the just judge, and I'm not calling you to bear that burden. I one day will make things right. That's my job, not yours. And you can release that weight. You know, God has spoken um, some things. To all of us, if you call on the name of Christ, there are some things in Scripture that apply universally to believers. Some things like your involvement in the body. We see throughout Scripture that God works most through the body of Christ, that Christ is the head and we are the members. And that when God does his work on this earth, it's primarily done through the body. And that if if you're a believer, you're called here. You're called to love this body. 
You're called to be here. You're called to give. You're called to serve. And this body is called to give to you and to love you and to serve you. That you need the body and the body needs you. None of us have been called to a life of individual pursuit of Christ. None of us are called to be a, a solo or on an island. None of us are called to just me and Jesus on my quiet time chair in the living room and that's enough. We are called to be here uniformly together making an impact in the kingdom. That's, some, that's a call on all of us how he's speaking to us. But in other ways, we see in scripture that God is speaking to some of us in particular ways and not to others. Maybe you already feel the Spirit of the Lord speaking to you. Maybe it's in the area of missions. And you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've already had some of these discussions. And maybe you've responded with, it just doesn't make sense right now. It just, I don't see it. So I'm just going to put it aside until it makes sense to me. And then I'll act on day-old manna. Maybe some of you, just like the Garners in the video, have already been thinking about adoption, but it just doesn't make sense. How do the dollars fit together and the number of rooms? God isn't calling all of us to that, certainly. But he is calling some of us to that. And in our day and age, it's just easy to say, let's live off of the old manna. Instead of trusting what God is speaking to us. You know, this story ends with great joy. The story of Zechariah. Zechariah, on the eighth day after his son was born, and all the people gathered around, and they were going to name his son. And they said, we should name him Zechariah, right? And they asked Zechariah, what should his name be? And he wrote down on a tablet... And he said via the tablet, his name is John. And when he spoke that confession of belief in what the angel of the Lord said to him, it said that his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he praised God. And what we see here is an exact representation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because haven't we all heard a supernatural word of God spoken to us? And that the word of God spoken to us has been incredibly good news. Not that you're going to have a child, but that you can become a child of God. And not just become a child of God, but you get to be drawn into a greater family, a greater purpose. That is woven throughout all of eternity future. That you can go from death to life and darkness to light. And your eyes can be opened and your tongue can now sing in ways that you could not previously sing. And when you confess, not my name is, his name is John, but that his name is Jesus. And I believe in Jesus to be the author and perfecter of my faith. That's when the curse falls away. And you can speak in a way you couldn't have spoken before. And so what we see here in Luke chapter 1 is both a call to believers. Not for yesterday, not for tomorrow. But what does faith look like today? Because that's what God's calling us to, is faith in him and his promises and his word today. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, there's a call here to trust the good news that God is speaking, that you can become a child of God. So will you trust him today? 
Trust the words of God with your faith today. We need him. Please pray with me. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love. I thank you that you are the the author and the perfecter of our faith. And I thank you, God, that you have called us to a greater purpose. But I ask that you would give us our daily bread. That you would help us to know what and when and how we consume the information that we hear from you. And that we continue to say, I do in fact trust you to keep the promises that you've made. Even if things don't make sense, even if the dots don't connect, I'm going to trust you over my own mind and my own logic. Because you are good and you hold tomorrow. Father, help us with this. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen.